Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. We're, uh, we're here today uh, with Brother Neil Knight. Uh, for those that have uh, been with us for a while, Brother Knight's been on the podcast with us, I don't know, three or four times now. Um, Something like that. We most recently had him uh, in uh, back in Matthew, the end of Christ's life, uh, shared the, uh, his thoughts and feelings on uh, Matthew 27 and those ends of the New Testament uh, books that were talking about his crucifixion and just some beautiful things there. So I'd invite you to go back and listen to that there. Uh, last year, uh, Brother Knight and I, at the end of the year like this, um, we met before we started reading the New Testament, and we talked about uh, the intertestamental period, which is the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is it, 700 years-ish, somewhere in there? 400. Yeah, okay. 400 years in there where there's no prophets that we know of and, and things are just kind of falling apart. Um, and, and Brother Knight did such a fantastic job of helping us understand really when Christ is born what the church looked like and what changes had happened and, and occurred that I thought wouldn't it be great now to have Brother Knight come back and help us get from uh, the end of the New Testament uh, through the apostasy really um, we're, we're going to start in a week or so reading from the Book of Mormon again, um, but you don't do that without having some conversation about the restoration of the church and, and uh, you know, the, the, the Book of Mormon coming about. And so although we're, we're not jumping into the Doctrine and Covenants, we're jumping into the Book of Mormon, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to have uh, a conversation um, about the restoration, but have that come from an understanding of the apostasy that's gone on. Um, from the time of Christ after his ministry to uh, Joseph's time. So we're going to do that in, uh, in probably three different episodes as we've talked. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the thought is um, to do that in a kind of constructed way that helps us understand. And I'm just super excited, Brother Knight, to have you, have you with us. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. This is, uh, if I have a hobby horse in the gospel or a, or a soapbox I like to get on, this would be it. Yeah. Uh, I just, for years, you know, was interested in how we got so many churches and what's the history. And I got my master's degree because of this interest. I got my master's degree in the history of early Christianity. Yeah. I wanted to study the apostasy. Mm -hmm. And um, my professors at Boise State didn't know that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have appreciated sure. <laughs> that, <laughs> that approach, you know. And, uh, but it's, uh, I did, and, it, and it's just there. Um, this is one of our basic doctrines, yeah. one of the fundamental doctrines of the church. Without the apostasy, there's no need for a restoration. Right. And typically, what we say about the apostasy is it happened, and that's why we needed it. <laughs> exactly. And then we, then we dive into the restoration, which is great. Right. We need to. Yeah. You know. But I, I just like to uh, fill in some of the gaps that maybe we have in our knowledge and understanding and, and give us a, a reason for having faith in this fundamental doctrine yeah. Yeah. of the gospel with confidence. Yeah, it's so important. That it, and you and I are a little bit kindred spirits in that, that, that I feel like that uh, understanding that, that as members of the church largely we have, um, maybe a little ignorantly, but we have generally uh, an understanding that the apostasy has happened. Uh, because we know of the restoration. It's kind of by a default that we know of the apostasy. Um, but I, like you, felt so uh, prompted maybe to study um, some of the things that happened. And I'm uh, no, by no means putting myself on the same level as you in that because I think you, as I've often said, are our resident scholar in a lot of things in the church and scripture and 
whatnot. So I'm excited to to hear your thoughts. But I have I've this has been one of my uh, pet projects as well as we go here today. So I'm super excited. Okay. Super excited. So let's jump in. We're uh, we're at the end of Christ's life. We're at the end of the apostles' ministry. Um, and I think there's uh, maybe some setup we need to do to help us kind of understand. Um, and, and for those listening, just so you know, we'll, we're going to just talk for some time here today, and we'll break this into three different uh, kind of looks. So Yeah, and, and just before I actually dive, um, let me just suggest uh, maybe some sources sure. for people that would like to, to dive in a little yeah, bit great. more. I love that. Um, one of them is uh, Tad Collister. Mm-hmm. The inevitable apostasy, mm. and I love the way that he thinks, that he organizes, that he expresses things. He's, he's paid a price in in uh, reading you know the information and and does a great job of putting things together. So that's Tad Collister, the inevitable apostasy, especially chapters one through fifteen. Mm-hmm. There's another one that's a. And, and this is not in any way denigrating Tad Collister, but there's another one that's kind of written at a, a, a little more scholarly uh, level. It, it's not a it's not a matter of whose approach is better; it's who you want to talk to. Sure. So Noel Reynolds is the editor of a, a book called Early Christians in Disarray, hmm. and it's a, a series of uh, essays on. Uh, uh, Early, uh, you know, church topics and, and the Say apostasy. Say the title of that again. Early Christians in Disarray. Okay. Noel Reynolds. Great. Yeah. So there's there's good information out there and and. Uh, Do you know if uh, Brother Reynolds is a member of? The oh faith? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, and all of the authors of these essays are are, are Latter Day Saints good. as well. Yeah. Not that that's needed, right? I think I think there's a lot of non-LDS scholars that uh, have studied and, oh, yeah. and find similar um, Absolutely. apostasy we'll, traits. We'll hear right? quotes from some of those great, great. later on. Good, good, love it. Okay. Um, one thing that I would like to get from this conversation of the apostasy, though, is, uh, is, is to make this uh, Christ-centered. Sure. And it's, that's not necessarily always a real natural Part of studying the apostasy, yeah. But um, for this first uh, episode in particular, uh, I, I'd like to come away with you know what what do we learn about Christ? Yeah. From Good. this part of our conversation of Great. the apostasy, I love that. So let's start with a, a scripture about faith. Okay. Uh, Hebrews eleven, okay, verse one, and it says, "Now faith." is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now sometimes people who don't understand faith or who ridicule faith will, will say faith is just blind acceptance. Sure. And, and for them, faith means I, I believe something without evidence. I believe something right. without proof. Um, and that's why I have faith, because if I can prove it, then you know, it wouldn't take me. But this, I love this um, definition from Hebrews 11, verse 1, because it says faith is the substance. Substance meaning assurance, mm-hmm. or the basis, or the foundation. Faith is the foundation of, of things that are hoped for. And then the word evidence, the Greek word, um, is actually proof. Mm. And so... For those who understand faith, it's not about I believe something just because I want to and I like it and I don't have any evidence to support it, but right. I, I believe it because it makes me feel good. Yeah. Faith is about being informed mm-hmm. and and having support, having evidence for that. Now, the church education system, um, do we call it that at all anyway? Seminaries and institutes yeah. has come out with <laughs> nine... Uh, basic doctrines, mm-hmm. and uh, the fourth one, so they include things like Godhead, plan of salvation. The fourth one is dispensation, apostasy, restoration. Mm-hmm. And some of these take, I think, more faith in the sense of we don't have as much proof or evidence, mm-hmm. uh, that way of looking at faith. Um, others don't take as much there's more knowledge. There's right. more information. I think apostasy fits in the category of we have so much evidence. We have so much supporting mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. We almost don't need 
the faith yeah. that means, you know, I don't have complete information. There is so much that's sure. here. Right. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at is um, the evidences for it. And I just want to take a few minutes, though, um, before we get started. There are some um, modern historians of, of early Christianity mm. who make the argument that there wasn't really a New Testament church. Mm. And, and they have their reasons for that conclusion, which we won't get into. It's kind of complicated and would take a lot of time. But, but uh, I, I do want to take a, a little bit of time. And I get these ideas, these next ideas from Tad Collister, mm -hmm. that for the evidences of an actual New Testament church. First of all, the New Testament repeatedly talks about a church. Mm -hmm. That seems like pretty good evidence to yeah. me that there was a church. There's a formal method of entry into this church, mm -hmm. and that's baptism. There's a formal exit, mm -hmm. being excommunicated. And it, it talks about an organization in different places. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I might just add that the entrance into the church um, before Christ was a little more ambiguous. Um, we learn after Christ that some were baptized unto Apollos and some to John and some to and so they had they had said well it's important that we get baptized and these people that these ministers that were following but the apostles were sent very clearly out to say no now you need to be baptized in Christ's name that's yeah. the thing right so that 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 broader gate really got narrowed down uh, by the apostles after Christ as well. Yeah, and and those people that were are referred to there were Christian sure. ministers, preachers. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, whose name and, and whose church and whose doctrine. Yeah. So he narrowed that yeah. clearly down. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, so there there was a church. I mean, and writers right after the New Testament talk about a church and talk about organization. Uh, and just, I, I like to do this visually, which doesn't work in a podcast. Um, you know, I can hold my mic up to my screen yeah. as I look at this. But, but um, the article of faith, that, number six, says, you know, we believe in the same organization that existed the in primitive the primitive church, church right? and so on. And I think sometimes we take that maybe more literally than we ought to. Because when Joseph Smith made that statement... We don't even have the same church organization that existed then. Mm -hmm. And so the specific organizational chart, yeah. you know, the diagram of the church is right. not what's being talked about sure. here. It's the basic um, functions of the church, functions of the priesthood and callings mm -hmm. within the priesthood, mm -hmm. things that the church is supposed to do. And we have all of those things, apostles, prophets, and mm -hmm. so on. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't get hooked up on, do we have the same organization as sure. the New Testament? Well, yeah. no, we don't, really, um, as, as far as a chart is concerned. But, yeah, we do in, in mm. terms of function. Mm. And so, yeah. okay, apostasy. The word apostasy, um, it means... Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, mm -hmm. you probably used that on your mission a lot mm -hmm. like I did. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a, I don't know if it's still a, a doctrinal mastery scripture or not, but it was for a long time. It says there will be a falling away. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the, the phrase that's given for the word apostasy, the Greek word apostasia. And um, it, falling away may not be the best uh, translation because that can sound very unintentional. Sure. They, they fell away, mm -hmm. but apostasia is also translated as rebellion, uh, mutiny. Mm -hmm. It means to stand opposed to. And so uh, it, this was not an accidental thing. There were, there were things that happened, and we'll talk in a minute about how early that happened. Mm -hmm. But there were things that happened where people rose up in rebellion. Well, as you can imagine, a lot of our our Christian friends and, and neighbors uh, don't like a conversation about apostasy yeah. because it tends to discredit <clears throat> what they have. Sure. And of course, we don't mean to, uh, to discredit what they have. We honor the truth they have. Mm -hmm. We recognize the truth that they have. And, uh, and of course, our invitation is to, uh, is to receive more of that truth. Right. But some of them will object to, to the concept that there could be an apostasy. 
and they will often go to Matthew chapter 16. This is the, the scene where, whom do men say that I am? Mm -hmm. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. And I'm gonna give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, I will build upon this rock, not Peter, even though Peter means rock, this mm -hmm. is talking about the rock of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And here's the key phrase that uh, they like to point to, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And they say, see, there, there won't be an apostasy because Satan, the gates of hell, it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. There won't be an apostasy, and uh, you can you can go to to places like uh, uh, Fair, um, LatterdaySaint.org, and great stuff there. I love that 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 place. And they they can talk about well, what does hell mean here? It's Hades, and what is sure. that? And all of that kind of reasoning, which is wonderful. But I think the simple, direct way to respond to that is, prevail means to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, there. It, <laughs> and we're not saying that the apostasy meant yeah. that Satan, Satan won. won. <laughs> yeah. Satan didn't prevail. There was a time when things were not looking good. That's the yeah. apostasy. There were, it was a time when it looked like the, the the church was losing, the Lord was losing. Yeah, and and there were some things that were lost, but um, there, there's nothing in in the New Testament, Old Testament that says there won't be an apostasy. Sure. Right. And, and, but there are a lot of things that say that there will be right. and that there was. Um, oh, man, there's so much. Right, yeah. There's so much to, to do here. But, but let's go to the next thing. Um, and, and apostasy is always about what, what is happening on the inside. Sure. Um, apostasy wasn't caused by external forces. External forces have an influence. Uh, persecution. When we look in the book of Acts and uh, the saints were persecuted, maybe you remember without us going to actually look at it in, in chapter 8, um, it says that they scattered. Yeah. And what did they do when they scattered? Mm -hmm. They went and they taught the gospel wherever right. they went. Right. It's kind of like when you were a kid, you probably did this. You go out to the, the lawn and you you see a, um, what are those called? A sprinkler? No. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is old age coming in. A dandelion. Yep. <laughs> and it's got all of the, you know, the little seeds on it, and you blow on it, and right. your dad goes, ah, because you're spreading right. <laughs> those seeds everywhere. And dandelions are going to pop all, all over the place. That's what happened with the New Testament church in response to persecution. Yeah. And so persecution didn't cause right. the apostasy. It was stuff from the inside. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, did you have something on that? A, a no, on I, that? Did, I just think um, even Old Testament times was there was a there were references to that this apostasy was going to happen. That yeah. you know, I mean, this isn't just something that that uh, we take from two or three different verses in in the New Testament. Right. And, you know. Well, I did something uh, several years ago that um, I thought was going to be helpful. I wanted to mm -hmm. see what would happen if, if I put New Testament references to the apostasy in chronological order, mm -hmm. in the order that they were spoken or written, not in the order that they appear in our scriptures, because mm -hmm. that's not very chronological. Right, yeah, sure. And, uh, and so I just wondered what would happen if I did that. <clears throat> wow, okay. For those that can't see this, <laughs> Brother Knight has turned his computer and shown me a list uh, are they all New Testament? They're all New all Testament. All New Testament, and it's a partial list. Wow, just a big list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've and, and you can see I've got it in the 30s, and then there's a, a gap in in our sources, and, and then it's the 50s and the 60s, and one in, in 70 through 90, and then John had a few things to say in the 90s. Yeah, so AD 32 to AD 96, we've yeah. got all these different verses and references. Yeah, and and the short version of what I found is. In the earlier ones, Christ is saying, this is going to happen. And he does it in parables, mm -hmm. the parable of the wheat and the tares, mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, the, the disciples go out and they plant the wheat, and that's the gospel, that's the, the, the Christian church in, in New Testament times. And, and then Satan comes in, the enemy, and he plants tares, mm -hmm. and they're allowed to remain there. Yeah. Apostasy is allowed to remain in the church because mm -hmm. pulling it out is going to do damage to the wheat. And kill the wheat too. Right? Yeah, and, so it, and, he, and he says to his disciples, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so to me, what that means is roughly A.D. 32, uh, the, the apostles knew that uh, the, the work that they were beginning, the work that they would give their lives for, blood, sweat, and tears for, was going to uh, go into apostasy. It was going to have struggles. It, there were going to be issues there. Um, Christ warned uh, that many are going to be offended. That's in, from Matthew 24 or Joseph Smith, Matthew one. So there are these warnings that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, in the in the fifties, uh, more there's there's this kind of a, a transition period. It's not a clear, you know, this happened on Monday, this happened on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. It's this transition and things kind of blend. But Over it's that it's some ten year periodish somewhere. Yeah, in there. there there's there's comments saying, you know, there's going to be a falling away. But then it's also saying there are divisions among you. I, Paul says to the Galatians, I can't believe that you're so soon removed mm -hmm. from him and from the gospel that I taught you. So there's already yeah. there are people that are wandering, that are strained. And yeah, that's Galatians 1, 6. We might just add some references for, for those listening. Thank there. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Galatians 1, 6, a whole portion of, of his work, the people there are, are starting to remove right. themselves from what he taught them. And he warns, getting close to the end of his life, Paul warns that there will be grievous wolves enter in among you. So mm -hmm. the, again, apostasy from, from the inside. Mm -hmm. and so it goes from it's going to happen to, wow, I can't believe it's already happening. And when, when you think about it, the letters in the New Testament are all evidence of mm. apostasy. Yeah, They're all written to deal with... Erring yeah, church members, right? Church members, doctrine... Um, all of them are in response to trying to get people back to yeah. where they're supposed to be. So yeah. the New Testament, the existence of, of a big chunk of the New Testament, these letters of Paul in, uh, in particular, are an example uh, of evidence for the apostasy. Well, isn't it an interesting concept, too, that, that you know, the, the early church, the earliest Christian church needed prophets and apostles, they looked for these leaders to guide and direct them, to correct them, to make changes, to help them. We live in a world today where so many of our Christian friends say, we don't need it. Yeah. Well, how many Christian churches are there? That yeah. Really? We don't need it? We yeah. need nobody telling us, hey, this ought to be this way? And Even the earliest, right after Christ, people that walked with him didn't know how to do it on their own. And... It, there's evidence that the apostles were necessary in order for that uh, structure to maintain. Right, right. And the people say that we don't need them anymore, and they've got scriptures they can go to. There is no place in the New Testament that says you don't need them anymore. Right. <laughs> there just isn't. But but they can uh, they can go and say, well, it says this, and that means this, and it, you know, which agrees with this, and and then they build it from there. Right. Uh, but the the fact is, Ephesians four is the place that says we need them mm -hmm. for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the, of the saints. Right. Is that all done? For the yeah. edifying of the body of Christ, is right. that all done? Yeah. Those, those things are still yeah. needed, and so we still need apostles, prophets, wow. and so on. Um, Paul, in uh, about 64 AD, 1 Timothy 4, yeah. verse 1, yeah. says, In the latter times, giving heed to seducing spirits. And I point that one out because of one that we're going to see in John here in a few minutes. But he says, in the, in the latter times, what does that mean, latter times? But they're giving heed to seducing spirits. Um, it sounds like he's very frustrated in A.D. 65, 2 Timothy 1, 15. 2 Timothy 1.15, where he says, Everybody in Asia has turned away from me. Mm -hmm. Asia being basically what we now call Turkey. Mm -hmm. That's a, not quite all of it, but that's close enough. Um, and, and so in, in the 60s, it's, it's there. It, it's happening. They're turning their ears away. There are mm -hmm. false prophets among them. People are being led away with the Arab. That's, that's the 60s that Paul is talking about mm -hmm. and that his letters try to address. Let's go to the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, Revelation 2 and 3. This is the beginning of the, the book of Revelation where... Christ is giving messages to the seven churches. Mm -hmm. 
And um, there's only one church where there, there is not a condemnation. Mm. There's not a, re a rebuke given. Mm. The other six, they all have a rebuke mm. given. And there's one church, six of the seven also get a, a pat on the back. You're doing this well, but one of them doesn't get that. Mm. And so this is actually not seven specific churches. We, we tend to see this as being the church. Sure. Seven being whole, right. complete. Yeah, so the, it's the whole church. And, and, this number, is, yeah. and this is a picture mm -hmm. of the church in, in the 90s. There's some good things happening. And there are a lot of problems that are happening. Mm -hmm. And in some places, it's worse than other places. And yeah. so, again, a scripture for the, the apostasy. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about in, in second, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, in the latter times, giving heed to seducing spirits. Mm -hmm. 96 AD, John says, now there are many antichrists, and by this we know that it is the last time. Mm -hmm. I don't think that John thought this was the last days of the earth and the second coming was mm -hmm. immediate. I think that Paul understood 30 years before and John understands in 96 that that this is the end of the church. He's the last apostle. Yep. Mm -hmm. There won't be anybody else in that level of authority mm -hmm. after, after John stops functioning that way. Uh, and this is the last days of the church that... Um, Christ established and that his disciples had been struggling mm -hmm. to carry on. So there it is. There's the flow in chronological order. It's going to happen. I can't believe it already is. Man, it's just everywhere. And, and now we know. We're in the end. There we this. are. Yeah. So that's what I found when, when I put them in chronological order. And I think that's powerful that the scriptures actually teach us that really the, apostasy, the apostasy started when Christ was alive. The apostasy was going on when the apostles were still here. Yeah. It didn't wait until they were gone. Yeah. It just was able to continue after that in, a, in an unfettered kind of a manner. Well, and like it happens with individuals, it doesn't happen all at one time. You don't wake up on a Tuesday and apostatize yeah. from the church, right? right. You, you have little things here and there that you start viewing differently than leaders of the church are saying, and, and you start collecting ratifying sources that validate your opinions contrary to the prophetic statements and eventually you're making up your own saying I think this is true not that and uh, becoming a false prophet unto yourself yeah um, in some in some large measure and, and just before we go on here I I think there's a there's a last days prophecy that there will be false prophets one of my students last semester asked how do we know that the church isn't a prophecy fulfilled of false prophets that's being raised question. up in the land, right? Yeah. And and really, I, I thought, man, that's a fantastic question. They are, they are, they are, they are prophets. There are apostles. There are seventy. There are you know, the structure is created again. How do we know that it's not the false prophet? That, uh, and I think the simple answer is by their fruits you shall know them. Matthew um, seven, right? But 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 it requires that you know them. It requires that you look at them. And you study them, and you hear what they say, and what are they pointing you to? And, Satan, and, and what does the church do right. that's, that, that changes the people's exactly. lives for the better? And not perfectly, right? There are, there are challenges and mm -hmm. imperfect people uh, leading in, in local areas and, and even in higher governments of the church. But that ultimately the objective of the church and the, and the objective of the Savior's mission is being fulfilled uh, in large measure. Uh, by the church and, and its uh, its organization, and and I think it's interesting too that Satan, uh, but this goes back to what Brother uh, Collister has taught, uh, not in the book that you referenced, but in a talk he he talks about uh, just the the divinity of the Book of Mormon and the mm -hmm. you know and and the proof that the Book of Mormon is of itself really. And he says, Satan would not write that book. He would not, he would not testify of Christ as often as he's writing. Mm -hmm. And he would not point you to the Savior. He would not tell you to repent. He would not, all these things. And I think that's a, a, a really big answer to that question. How do I know that mm -hmm. modern day, just listen to what they're asking to do. It's go find the Savior. Yeah. Go find for yourself the Savior, right? It's, it's such an answer. Uh, that, that I don't know that we really need to spend a lot of time on that question, right. but definitely by John's time, we have false prophets leading people astray right. and intentionally saying, nah, we're not going to listen to John anymore. Yeah. We're going this way. And in our day, we have a different culture. Yeah. In their day, prophets were real big authority figures. Sure. In our day, not so much for the, the, the broader 
population. Mm -hmm. So in our day, false prophets could easily include um, false influencers of any kind, sure. political, educational, yeah. religious, um, you know, whatever it is, that, well, that, that are saying things that are really compelling. Yeah, and, and, and even just friends, right? Local friends that mm -hmm. you have, the people that, uh, there's, a, there's a sister in my life that, not my, one of my sisters, but uh, a woman that I know who, um, who has stepped away from the church, um, has had some negative experiences with priesthood leaders and some things like that, all of which uh, probably shouldn't have happened, mm -hmm. um, but uh, is very vocally uh, contrary to the church right now. And uh, she wrote me a, a pretty lengthy uh, uh, dissertation on her experiences and the negatives and all these things and pointed all these things out that she thought I had not been aware of. And, um, and my response to her was to simply ask if the Book of Mormon were true. And she wrote another dissertation that started with the word yes, hyphen, but, but. <laughs> right? And, and really what's happened then in that case is a friend of mine has become a prophet saying, yes, but let me show you where God has gone now. Let me show you what God now wants you to do. Of her own fruition, she has decided that because she has had some experiences, mm. she now has some authority to teach someone else yeah. how, to, uh, how to follow the Savior. And, and I think that's a, there's a lot of those happening am amongst us, right? Yeah. False prophets in the land. Yeah. Sometimes they show up in, uh, you know, YouTube videos or yeah. <laughs> podcasts. I hate to say that yeah. when we're on a podcast, yeah, but you know, right. not all podcasts are created equal, right. and, and uh, we ought to we ought to uh, make sure that the things that we watch and listen to are are using good sources sure. that they're keeping close to the scriptures and the words of the prophets. Yeah, I had early on in my career uh, a man that was a mentor to me. Uh, we didn't officially have mentors, but I, I viewed him as a mentor. And he made a statement at the time that kind of shocked me a little bit, but I understand it much better now. Uh, and that was, he said, there are some weird things in church history. And, uh, and I've studied those weird things now, and so I, yeah. I you know, I, <laughs> you can you can ratify that. I know that. what he's talking about. <laughs> and he and he said, there's been some things that have just you made me kind of shake my head and say, what in the world? Yeah. And, but then his comment was, but I always come back to the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. And he said, the Book of Mormon, there's, no, there's really no other explanation for it other than yeah. an ancient book written by prophets that was translated in modern times by right. a prophet. And, and so, you know, there's, it's wonderful to have that additional anchor and, and testimony of Christ. Yeah. On that list, of, back to those New Testament sure, scriptures, sure. There's, there's one that somehow I missed when I made up that original list. That's John, 3 John, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So 3 John 1, 9 and 10. And this is a powerful apostasy scripture. Um, John writes, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Hmm. There's a lot of big words. The, yeah, there's a local <laughs> leader there, Diotrephes, okay. or, or per, a man who's assuming some leadership, who wants to have leadership, and he, he won't receive us. Hmm. He doesn't accept us. It sounds like... Um, he, he rejects uh, official designated representatives, and, and, he, and he, I'm in control here. This mm -hmm. is, and that's apostasy. Mm -hmm. That's rising up in a rebellion. Mm -hmm. um, verse 10, Wherefore, if I come, uh, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. And, and, and he casts them out of the church if, if mm -hmm. they disagree with him. So um, the apostasy is in the scriptures. Yeah. I, we could probably be a little bit simplistic and say there are basically two kinds of things that got lost in the apostasy. Um, doctor, priesthood and, and priesthood keys and doctrinal purity. Mm. And those were things that did not happen all at once. Those were, th were things that would happen over time. Right. But happened fairly quickly, um, at least began to happen fairly quickly. Doctrinal purity... Uh, we'll, we'll have some examples of things, but uh, but those two kinds of, of things that were that were being lost, uh, you had fewer priesthood leaders that were being given priesthood by actual priesthood holders sure. with keys. Sure. And so there there came a time, whenever it was, in in the mid to late 100s, maybe, where there were not any uh, priesthood holders that we would consider valid. 
Yeah. Given priesthood authority by somebody with priesthood. Well, and that's going to come up, you know, I think maybe more today, but for sure in the in the next episodes that we're going to have here on this topic that, uh, you know, in a similar way to how we in the church don't believe that a current bishop could call and set apart the next bishop. Right. Um, we believe that, that the ancient church was very similar. It required apostolic invitation uh, and, and calling uh, to, uh, to be set apart in that way. Um, and, and that is probably the biggest difference between, say, our faith and the Catholic faith, who, who really just was okay with those, those priesthood leaders at the bishop level, or even lower than that maybe even, um, being able to extend priesthood authority beyond equal priesthood authority, right? A, a, a current bishop can extend priest, lesser priesthoods and, mm -hmm. and those assignments and mm -hmm. those um, uh, positions, but but equal authority um, was not something that and, and, and is or was something that a, that a priesthood holder can or or should be offering. And and the way they overcame that, and, and really to me. Most of what we talk about in, in the apostasy with leaders and, and with doctrinal changes and so on, I really believe it's, it's basically good people doing the best they can right. with what they have. Exactly. And so the way they tried to overcome this issue you were just talking about, yeah. it, I don't think there were the layers that we have in the church then and now. That, that, I don't think they existed, all of them, sure. then. I think it was pretty much um, what we see in the New Testament is apostles and uh, local leaders, right? And and Paul and others go around and they ordain these other leaders. Well, when that's gone, the way they would designate a new bishop was a group of bishops would come together. Yeah. Neighboring communities, yep. neighboring co congregations would come together, and as a group they would then do that. And that modifies over time, right? Where you could have a bishop chosen by public acclamation. Right. We want him to be our bishop. We want him to be and and say right. okay, fine. Yeah, and you see that you see that today in the Catholic Church, right? That, that that's how a pope is is called. It, it is through vote until there's a uh, enough of a consensus. Enough of a consensus, yeah. right? And 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 not that uh, and I love what you said that that uh, I think it was out of a desire to protect what they had yeah. to say. How can we continue to teach if there is no priesthood authority? Let's not just quit. Well, yeah, what can I'm going to die, and so I'm. I'm going to give my authority to this guy. He didn't have the authority to do that, right. but his intent was good and righteous, right. and I want to. I want to continue the church, but without the, without the. What would Elder uh, Iring say? The, the living, uh, flowing stream of. Uh, uh, priesthood revelation. Without that, there is nothing to pass on, right? And and there's no authority to, to pass it on. In terms of authority, there's yeah, nothing to pass on. For sure. There's still lots of tradition and, right. and doctrine and yeah. And maybe even revelation. I, you know, I don't know that God didn't speak to his children on earth um, personally or for their families, but no one, when John was told stop leading the church, right? Because John was still walking the earth. Um, when he was given the instruction, whenever that was, to no longer uh, pass along in that priesthood authority, mm -hmm. there is no one to receive it for the church yeah. uh, as, a, as a whole. And yeah, and I think this would be a good time, just as a side note or a footnote, um, to talk about priesthood in, in terms that Elder and Sister Renlund do in their book called The Melchizedek Priesthood. Okay. I recommend that book. I haven't read that. I'm um, excited. Yeah, Elder and Sister Renlund, The Melchizedek Priesthood, and, and uh, they talk about we talk about priesthood in two basic ways, and sometimes we make them synonymous when they're not. Uh -huh. But there's all of God's power and right. authority. Sure. Within that, and if that's a great big circle, right. within that there's a little circle that is um, the priesthood authority that he gives to the, our normal definition of priesthood. Right. His authority that he gives to to people to do his work. Right. That's church priesthood. That's ordained priesthood. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, God gives people power. Um, the, the 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 reformers. Right. You know Calvin and and sure. uh, and Luther and so on. We look at them as being inspired, 
and sustained and supported and right. empowered right. to do what they did. So I would give that same kind of priesthood, the, the church priesthood, sure. the ordained priesthood and priesthood keys mm -hmm. that are necessary, really vitally necessary to yeah. do some things. Right. That was gone. Yeah. But there was still, God power was still God. blessing. Yeah, and, and, and the architects people. of the country and yeah. you know those people that, that came up with revelatory... Um, and, and I think about I think about how you know there are modern day, just really good Christian leaders, ministers, and and, and uh, pastors. Who, what other thing would it be other than the authority from Heavenly Father to help their children, help his children? Right? Mm -hmm. Revelation comes to a good pastor trying to help. Um, and they do good things, and they love Christ. Right. With with no assignment to do it directly from God, with the authority that that we would say exists within the Church of Christ, um, but but that they're doing good, that that they are lifting, that they're receiving some help from the heavens, um, maybe not to direct the work of the church on the earth, but to help the Jones family that they are connected mm -hmm. to and that they know and love, right? Um, in in small ways, in ways that. Um, that that are not really f um, fractured, right? You, you get you get big enough as a church that you're creating a secondary church in a different town, and all of a sudden the church becomes fractured, mm -hmm. right? That that is not a, a way that Heavenly Father would would guide His children on earth with different priesthood yeah. powers and authorities there. But yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that. So the the early new post New Testament church, we don't have a lot of documentary evidence um, for a hundred years. Uh, not quite. Well, there's, there's a little bit, but we have a big gap in there, so we, we don't have a lot of sources and information, but they, they recognized that that level of authority was gone. They mourned the loss of that uh, apostolic sure. level of authority. Yeah. They knew that, that something was missing, but they just they carried on the best that they could. Yeah. Modern scholars look back, and this is a quote from Will Durant. Let's see if I remember right. He was born a Catholic. He became an agnostic and, uh, or an atheist, and uh, at the end of his life, he went back to Catholicism. Mm. And, and kind of tongue-in-cheek, I, I, I say he just wanted to cover his bases. And, sure. you know, but uh, he, he's a renowned scholar of a previous generation, 20th century, <clears throat> and he, he wrote this. Christianity did not destroy paganism. It adopted it. Mm. The Greek mind, dying, came to a transmigrated life in the theology and liturgy of the church. The Greek mysteries passed down into the impressive mystery of the Mass. Christianity was the last great creation of the ancient pagan world. Mm. Now, without dissecting and taking that apart, he's just basically saying that, that um, pagan beliefs and, and, and traditions changed but continued on yeah. in the form of the Catholic Church. Paganism, he says, actually defeats church. The, the, the early Christian church yeah. And, yeah. and the beliefs of the church. Um, here's another one. His name is Adolf von Harnack, and again, he's, he's a generation ago. I think more current... Um, uh, early Christian historians don't talk as much about this because it's not a hot topic anymore. It's it's kind of a settled thing. Because mm -hmm. I, I looked for more modern ones, um, and they 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 view things differently. But anyway, he's a Adolf von Harnack is a, a giant in, in early Christian uh, historian mm -hmm. um, circles. He says if we place ourselves at about the year two hundred. So that's about a hundred years after John, John yeah. the last apostle. About a hundred uh, or hundred and twenty years after the apostolic age. So uh, he's he's a little different number than mine, but we usually say John is uh, you know about a hundred A.D. Mm -hmm. um, maybe he's saying, you know, we go back where they were active. Yeah, and and John's the only one for maybe twenty years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says if we go back and uh, 20 years after the apostolic age, what kind of spectacle does the Christian religion offer? The living faith seems to be transformed into a creed. 
devotion to Christ into Christology. Christology is the formal organized study of, of Christ, mm -hmm. what it means to be Christ. Prophecies transitioned into technical exegesis. Mm -hmm. um, instead of prophetic um, language inspired by the Spirit, it becomes the, the work of scholars to mm -hmm. explain and teach things. Um, the ministers of the Spirit into clerics, miracles and miraculous cures disappear altogether. The Spirit becomes law and compulsion. This enormous transformation took place within 120 years. Mm. And so <clears throat> modern scholarships uh, or scholarship uh, points to uh, the apostasy as well. Well, just to kind of just cut you off in that, I just think that statement that the Spirit becomes law really is just of uh, reversing back to Mosaic law, the spirit of that becomes the law of that, right? The mm -hmm. spirit of the message goes away. Mm -hmm. um, we get the we get the Pharisees and the Sadducees during Christ's time. Right. We're missing the spirit of what was going on. Even maybe the spirit of revelation is no longer there. Then Christ comes and restores that through prophets and, and revelation. That spirit, that concept of spirit in the church, we would call revelation. Because there's no revelation, all you have is the law. All you have is what was said, and so that's what you build everything based on. And then, if all I have is I'm supposed to take the sacrament, and I can't teach more about what that means because there's no current revelation helping me, what do I do? Well, I just stack on it more and more beauty and more and more stuff, and it turns into this big and gaudy kind of presentation um, that we see in so many spheres today. And, and what are the sources that... that supply that kind of yeah. those kinds of additions that'll be what we talk about next time yeah great is is uh, the greco-roman influences in their culture sure. that caused them to view the scriptures a certain way to, to view god a certain way right. and they kind of blended them together and, and but yeah but again that. it's all the lack of the spirit it's right. all the lack of revelation to keep it moving on a humble level and somebody who is can say with authority thus saith the lord yeah stop no, no doing that do this no prophetic right? voice it's yeah. it's the the church i don't remember 10 years ago maybe saying we really shouldn't be lighting candles when we offer the sacrament right mm -hmm. and and in my ward that was never th a thing right yeah. but somewhere in the world it was a thing and then the first presidency said hey we probably ought to just make sure it's known that we don't need to light a candle when we right keep, little keep tiny things you you magnify that times a hundred years of nobody saying that and you have massive uh, candelabras and <laughs> hundreds of candles being lit and now this is this is part of the sacrament we have to do this or we can mm -hmm. do this sacrament mm -hmm. right and so so we get all those changes not because of wickedness but just because of lack of the spirit yeah and I think they want to make it splendid. Yeah, it's Christ. Yeah, let's protect they, they, they His wanna, divinity. They want to want to make it really, yeah. really magnificent because of how they feel. Yeah, about that. Christ. And maybe there are some that think, "Wow, these are really cool clothes." Yeah, and <laughs> I can I can get a bigger following if yeah. I'm bigger and, and more brazen about Just it. Just because that's the way people are. Yeah. not not a condemnation of of uh, anybody in particular or any church. Yeah, that's sure. just kind of what can yeah, happen. I like that. Well. Let's, uh, let's finish this segment with uh, just a, a few uh, scriptures. Not a lot of time on this because we're getting close to the end of our time. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the scriptures also talk about restoration. Yeah. Um, there are New Testament scriptures, you know, that there'll be a time of, of uh, uh, refreshing. And, uh, but I like to look at, at Old Testament prophecies that talk about the restoration. And one of my favorite... Well, okay, Daniel 2 we'll just refer to because I think people generally know that. Daniel 2, 44 and 45, mm -hmm. this is Daniel interpreting the king's dream. And he sees this stone mm -hmm. carved out of the mountain, cut out of the mountain without hands that rolls down and destroys this image. Right. And it fills the whole earth. We understand the idea that it was cut out of the mountain without hands to mean that God organized this. Sure. God started this. Yeah, it wasn't man figuring it out. Yeah. yeah, and this is his kingdom that comes down and will ultimately replace all other kingdoms and mm -hmm. fill the earth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this would be, um, you know, in the last days, in the latter days, and, and Daniel says some things that, that make it really um, pretty clear that it, it is the last days, um, in the days of these kings, in the sure. days of these kingdoms, sure. yeah. uh, that, that uh, the kingdom of God is going to come forth then. Yep. 
in a way that will fill the earth. So it wasn't like that before. This is something that's, that comes out in the last days. So it's a restoration of what would come. Um, Isaiah 2, 2 through 3 says, uh, in those days, meaning the last days, mm -hmm. that, uh, let me look it up, because I, I don't want to misquote something. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. We will teach, he will teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths. So where is, where is this talking about? The when is in the last days. Um, it, this didn't happen before the last days. This was something that is introduced new. Right. Something that was not there, but in yeah. the last days. Um, <clears throat> I won't say that, that what I'm about to say is necessarily doctrine, but it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, mountain, if we go to uh, Jeremiah, I think it's uh, chapter 52, Jeremiah, the Lord through Jeremiah is talking to Babylon and he calls Babylon uh, you destroying mountain. Hmm. Mountain can mean a, a, a nation. Yeah, force, yeah. Yeah. And so in, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, the nation hmm. that has the Lord's house, and we would understand that to mean temple, shall be established in where? The top of the mountains. Hmm. And... Uh, of course, as Americans, we love to think that we are the top nation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and exalted above the hills, sure. lesser nations, and all nations shall flow unto it. That's happening. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that, that creates tension and conflict sure. in our country. We have people flowing to this, right. this nation, mm -hmm. the, the nation that has the Lord's house. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, in the top of the mountains, we, we usually think of that as, well, Utah, that's got a high elevation. Sure. But it's not the top of the mountains. Right. Not, not that that's a wrong explanation, but I think we can we can look at it in a in a slightly different way. Yeah, I like that. Um, and you may remember at the end of uh, the mountain of the Lord's house, mm -hmm. that video. We're told uh, in the, that final conversation that uh, the the federal government um, didn't want to call that new state, Deseret, which is what the church wanted. Mm -hmm. They wanted to call it Utah, after the Ute Indians. Mm -hmm. And the word Utah means top of the mountains. Top of the mountains. <laughs> so in the last days, the nation, this top nation, is going to have a temple built and people will come to it, mm. which seems like a pretty precise Pretty clear, <laughs> yeah. A fulfillment of that, and, and, and interesting that the that the federal government thinking that it was <laughs> going contrary to what the church wanted, yeah, was really just ratifying what God wanted <laughs> the church to actually have. In some they, way, they seem to help the church fulfill prophecy. Fulfill prophecy, you know, yeah. God is saying, "Hey, you guys, I like the idea of Deseret, <laughs> but here's something better," and He does it through the federal through the government. Through the federal government, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I would just say this, that um, as we think about how Christ is a part of this and how he is, uh, and sh is and should be a focal uh, point for us, the, uh, he promised that the, the church would not um, be destroyed, that uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when things were not going well. Yeah. But the big picture is that he had a plan for the church, and that, that plan included this down period, mm -hmm. this wandering kind of lost period, mm -hmm. but then a restoration, and that the church would come forth in a way that was bigger and better than before, yeah. in a way that ultimately would fill the whole earth, which yeah. isn't going to happen until really Christ comes. Right. Um, but there's this, there's this big plan. We start it, problems, we, those problems get overcome, and it's, and it's a wonderful future. Yeah. That's the macro. The, the micro is us individually. Yeah. I think there are times in our lives where we struggle. We feel maybe lost. 
um, we feel like maybe his love is not, you know, in, in our lives. We don't feel it, mm-hmm. and we just feel like, uh, you know, this is this is not working right, because maybe it isn't mm-hmm. working right. Mm-hmm. But just like he had a plan for his church, he has a plan for us yeah. as individuals, yeah. and that plan can include, if we choose, a restoration, yeah. a refreshing. Yeah. And a, a future that is bigger and better than anything we could imagine before, because, because that's what the Savior does for us, yeah. can do for us. Well, and and if we have and keep in our mind the ultimate purpose of life, which is not just to get back to be to be with God, but to be back to become like God, yeah. then the challenges and trials that we go through and the and the fallings away that we have have purpose. They have meaning. I think about. Um, you know that concept is true for us individually. That that at any given point, I think we're all in some state of apostasy somewhere in our lives, right? And and the the object of daily repentance is to joyfully overcome it as frequently as we can, and then mm-hmm. move on to the next one, so mm-hmm. we can become better in that thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I th- I think so often our concern about uh, apostasy has more to do with our friends, our family, our loved ones. And we see uh, them going astray, and we so badly want to shake them and say, no, stay. And, uh, and I think in a similar vein, that is Heavenly Father's tool to help them learn. And <clears throat> I, love the, I love the discussion about the uh, prodigal son in looking at the father who stayed who didn't go running after him into crazy town and tell him, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. It wouldn't have worked. He mm-hmm. was he wanted to do that. As he was facing away from home. And, um, and I think it's so important for us as we see people to always be watching and to be ready to lift and to, to lend a hand. But I think Heavenly Father sent us down here to apostatize to some degree, right? The I mean, fall. That's the purpose. The is, fall is apostasy. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and each of us, yeah, each of us comes down with our own tasks to overcome, and uh, he has a bigger plan than um, than any one individual person on earth mm-hmm. to save your family member or to mm-hmm. save even yourself, right? That that he puts a village around us, then he puts Christ in in our court literally in the court with us on our side, not as the opposing lawyer, mm-hmm. but to, to defend us by pointing to himself, right? In section 34 of the Doctrine and Covenants, listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, speaking of what is Christ going to say on your behalf. It will not be, look at Brother Knight and how fantastic he was and all the good he did for the church. Yeah, he sinned a little bit, but you know, <laughs> he, he won't do that. What does he say? We, we stop reading after that verse because we like the term advocate and we define that. But he literally says what he's going to say next and it's, behold, me, mm-hmm. your son, who did no sin and who you gave me this guy, I want him to be one of mine, right? He doesn't, he doesn't need to look at our acts, sinful or not, rebellious or not, if we've claimed him, at the end of the day, if our loved ones are the types that will say, I really just wanted Christ's help, however I find it and whenever I find it, if they're the type to go to the Savior at the very end of the day and say, I just need your help, yeah. he'll be there. Yeah. And that's the, that's, the, that's the greatness of the plan. Yeah. And, and I think, and you kind of mentioned this off air, um, that sometimes as parents we have, uh, we have kids that, that wander and first thing I would say is they're wandering now, but that's not the end of their story. No. Um, don't know what the end of the story right. is, uh, what they're going to choose. But we do know that the end of the story is, is even with wandering kids, and it's, it's a scary thing to have and, and to feel to have wandering kids, but the end result is going to be better than what our fears are now. Sure. Much, much better. Yeah. And it's going to be wonderful. Uh, there's always hope. There's always uh, a bright future, yeah. even when it's uh, you know, as dark as it can be. 
Yeah. Because of the Savior, because of His atoning sacrifice and His love, there's always a future. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and that really is the objective, right? To, to come down, to apostatize, and to turn to God. Yeah. The apostasy that we're talking about here, its purpose was to get His children back. Whether it was to send a whole bunch of kids during the Dark Ages when nobody had the church, there was no option, and He, he helped those children by not having that condemnation to not live the law, or whatever his reasons were, it was to get more of his kids back. That's his ultimate objective, right? right? Always. And, uh, and I love that, and, and we don't need to be as fearful as we, as we move forward. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to take a break. We're going to pause um, this episode. We've, we wanted to have some discussion today to start just about apostasy in general, to give some scriptural foundation for that. Um, to validate that uh, it, it isn't something that the uh, Church of Jesus Christ is making up today, um, <clears throat> that scholars both in the church and out of the church validate that it is a thing um, that did happen, that it's a prophetic um, <clears throat> uh, priority, that it was to happen. Uh, Christ himself spoke about it. So we wanted to just lay the groundwork for that. In the next episode, which you're welcome to start right away because we'll put them all out at the same time, <laughs> Um, we're going to get a little more detailed and go into the apostasy and what happened and, and some, of the, some of the reasons that it happened. We'll talk about the uh, environment that uh, because the apostasy happened, the environment was able to have this kind of influence and this kind of influence. Yeah. We'll talk about, uh, in specific, we'll talk about one doctrinal innovation that is, is pretty huge yeah. um, and how that specifically ties into um, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, sure. which will be the third, third episode. Right? episode of, yeah, yeah. yeah we, and, and again, that's not the only point uh, of reference for the apostasy is the doctrine of the Trinity, but it's such a clear one, um, and maybe at a, at a very decisive point in the, in the apostasy where so much was splintering at the same time um, that we think we felt like that third uh, discussion maybe ought to be just focused mostly about that. So, so that's what we're planning to do. Um, with that, we'll uh, take a break, and we will see you in the next one. Sounds okay. good.